Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 235 of Yoga Land. So we're back. This has been a really long hiatus for me from the podcast. I think the longest one I've ever had since launching a little over five years ago, and it felt really good. We had a lot of changes, which we talk about at the beginning of the podcast, and we're just kind of settling in, and it feels great to be back. It felt great to have a break, kind of rest my brain a little bit, get back into my creative self, and now it is equally fabulous to be back. So today I'm joined by Jason, and we have a conversation about how he feels it's important to train his teachers, as well as encourage his students, to be independent thinkers, to think critically, and to use self-inquiry with this practice as a guiding force. So within the context of this conversation, we talk about the importance of viewpoint diversity, the importance of being a teacher who can handle and in fact encourage your students to train with other teachers and to see other perspectives. And it really represents the values that both Jason and I hold about education in general, and just the value of seeing education as a process of lifelong learning, seeing engaging in that process as a way to stay open, to stay empathic, and to actually enjoy yourself and and be a lifelong learner. Before we get to the interview, I want to mention that Jason will be holding a few online workshops this fall that you might want to take part in. The first one coming up is his Art of Yoga Sequencing, and that is set to happen October, the weekend of October 8th. You can join our wait list, and I will send you more information once it's available. If you go to jasonyoga.com slash sequencing. And I will make more announcements. He's also doing the uh, preventing injuries training and the return to your center training for yoga teachers in the fall. And I'll make more announcements as those trainings become available to you. Okay. Enjoy the conversation with Jason. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. Here we are. We made it to the other side the the southern side of the state of California. We did. You know, it probably 10 years ago, I didn't even know this part of California existed. I, <laughs> I didn't know anything south of LAX existed. I mean, I conceptually knew it was there. Sure, 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 sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had heard of it. Yes. Um, but I had no reason to wander this far south. And turns out it's lovely. And also there are a lot of other people down here too. Yes, who've already <laughs> yeah. known about it. Yeah, this is not some unexplored little sector of the world. No, no, yeah. not at all. We did no. not discover it. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, we recently relocated from San Francisco, city, the city proper, Bernal Heights, to about a month ago, a little over a month ago, mm-hmm. to Carlsbad, California. And I have gotten some questions like, why did you do this? Or, you know, where are you? Or what's going on? Um, so I just thought I would just address it right here, right now. Do we want to quickly answer those questions? Sure. Of why? The, f- the first thing that comes up for me is um, that COVID really 
made me have a pretty massive pivot in my job. Mm -hmm. You know, so obviously we've been doing this podcast for a long time. Obviously I've taught on Glow and continue to teach on Glow and have a, a pretty decent online footprint. But the majority of my time teaching was spent on the road, teaching workshops, teaching trainings and so forth. And with COVID, I had to pretty quickly make that change. So the change that I made was the change that I wanted to make over maybe the next five to 10 years, which was to do more and more online content, more and more trainings and less and less travel because I had really burnt out from that travel. And I had to. Yes. <laughs> and the reality is where we lived in the city in 1200 square feet, we really didn't have the space to have a full-blown filming studio, blah, 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 blah. So we needed more space. And I would say the other thing is for our daughter, you know, we, we loved raising her in the city. Yeah. I'm so glad. And she's at the age in her life where she is really going to thrive by having more, more independence yeah, and exactly. more space, exactly. more ability to go outside. And where we were, that wasn't really an option, you know? Yeah. So I, th I think those are really the, the big things. And then final thing for me is just lifestyle. Admittedly, I have gotten to a phase. I'm not going to use the word I need, but I want a little bit more space and comfort, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And we found that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Same? Uh, yeah. I mean, definitely it was COVID having both of us, well, for a little while, all three of us home all the time trying to do our work, you know, including Sophia being at an online school was just, there is a now famous clip uh, in your teacher training videos of me crawling underneath <laughs> the camera trying to take the dog I for a to, walk. I have to pull that out mm -hmm. as a separate clip. I asked Chelsea, she's seen it. Okay. It, it's, yeah. So I've seen it too. It's still there. Yeah. And that was just, you know, I could go out the back door, hop a fence, go through the garage that had rats in it, <laughs> the whole thing to walk the dog. Yeah. And the one time I didn't do that, I was caught on camera. So that's just like a one example of the absurd, like the levels of absurdity we had yeah. gotten to. And it was, it was pretty tough. And yes, really similarly, I had always thought about Sophia as a preteen that age where you just want to run over to your friend's house or you want to like go with your friend down to the corner and get an ice cream or whatever. And, you know, it is possible in San Francisco, but it's a lot tougher. So yeah, we are here and I just want to acknowledge like the people who stick it out in the cities with their for kids. Sure. It's really amazing because I guess for me, I didn't realize how in certain ways unfamily friendly the city was and we are in a really family friendly place yeah. in terms of how much easier it is to find swim lessons and sign up for them camps you know different school choices there's tons of school choice down here and they're not all you know elite private schools that cost a bazillion dollars there's so many charter schools and so many homeschool options and for us you know we have a different kind of learner and you know, we just don't have the stress that I had of like, I have to make her fit into this box up here, which is really su surprising and funny because I moved to the city thinking 
that she wouldn't have to fit into a box. Right, But right, when it right. came to schooling, uh-uh. it was like, yeah, it was a little, it was just more limited. So, Well, that kind of actually gets us directly into the focal points of our conversation today, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I will say it too. I, I will reinforce what you just said, which is I am really genuinely surprised. I mean, you're the one who has always taken the lead on Sophia's education and care and management. I'm a huge component of it, but you are without a doubt the captain of that ship. And I am really genuinely surprised because I moved to San Francisco 26 years ago for the diversity and for the range of choice Mm -hmm. and just for kind of the the libertine quality of that city, right? Right, right, right. But it's shocking to get to see the lack of educational choices. Mm -hmm. And it's really strange to come down here and see the massive different ways in which kids are educated. Totally. The different kinds of options, whether it's combined homeschool, online, in person, one day a week, five days a week. You know what I mean? Just the options. Yeah. The options. And part of it is up there, you can't have... Both parents have to work in order to survive up there. Oh, for sure. You know, full time, full on downtown commutes, Silicon Valley. It's just like, it's super intense. So nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody homeschools. It's not part of the culture up there to, okay, my kid's not fitting into this space. Like, well, we have a little community. Let's homeschool. It's just, it's just, whereas here... It's just there's more breathing room right. for everybody. So. Right. And and that kind of gets us to where we're going, which is to say both of us really care about education. Yep. Right? I've always thought about this for myself, which is I am a teacher first. I And what I teach is the subject matter of yoga. And the subject matter of yoga is profound and extensive. Mm-hmm. So I'm never at a loss in teaching this subject to find things that are interesting and inspiring to, to teach. But if I didn't teach yoga, I would teach something else. Mm-hmm. So long before I knew what yoga was, I knew I wanted to be an educator. Mm-hmm. So I always care about how people are educated. And it's one of the things that I spend a lot of time refining my ability to do is to teach people, but to figure out not just how do I teach, but how do people learn, mm-hmm. right? And to understand that Different people have very different learning styles depending on their personality, their upbringing, their neurotype, whether they feel comfortable in a group, whether they don't feel comfortable in a group, whether they're more of a visual learner, an auditory learner, a sensory learner, right? This is Mm -hmm. something I really pay attention to Mm -hmm. and try to build my skill set to not just be able to teach in a narrow way. So that's a, a long way of me saying like, I really care how people are educated, and this is an example of our of us looking through the lens of the person who's the most important person to us and figuring out we want a scenario where the education works for her. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And when I think about what I want for her and what I want for my students and what I want as a student is I want to be a critical thinker. I want to understand the important of con- the importance of context. I want to understand the importance of ongoing open investigation and self-inquiry. And I also want to foster 
independent mindedness. Mm -hmm. Like those are my priorities as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Those are my priorities as a yoga teacher. And so in order to do that, I have to say the most important thing for me as a teacher is to teach independence and self-reliance and critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. It is not to make people a brand extension or an ambassador or someone that has just memorized my personal rule book Mm -hmm. of Mm jasonyoga.com. Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to just like pause you because you're getting right in there, which is great. But like, I think the way that we want to frame this conversation is I personally tend to I, I don't focus this this podcast on the negative and Mm-mm. sort of all of the, oh, the yoga, this is happening in the yoga community and isn't that horrible and isn't, you know, I, it's just not my, my bent. But I do think that this conversation is really, the framework for this conversation is what can tend to happen in systems and yoga is a, is a multifaceted system, but it is still a system. And what can tend to happen in systems is we can, as students, be desperate for concrete answers, and as teachers and as marketers and as yoga has been, you know, studios have been founded more and more by business people who need to package and brand and and systematize things and create like a Starbucks experience, right? And that's not, a, I'm not trying to be negative, but yeah, like yeah, yeah. a really consistent experience for a large mass market, some of that inquiry and some of that invitation to critical thinking has gotten lost. I, I completely agree with you. I don't think it is just the, um, the commercial is, and, and I, I don't think that the packaging is just an outcome of the uh, commodification of yoga and the commercialization of yoga. I think it's also in large part it predated it. Well, certainly. I mean, Andrea Jane in her book talks about like the first, not first, but some of the early brands being Iyengar, some of the early brands being Muktananda, right? Right. Because it was very, it's, it's systematized. Right. um, So that it's easily packaged and easy to understand and therefore consume. Correct. So yes, I I didn't mean to like put that on. No, no, no. I don't think that you did. Yeah. But I just, I kind of want to reach out. I think it's, I think it's a very, natural human thing yeah. to figure out and, and doing this in like kind of the most optimistic light, right? Like we find something that works really well for us and we want to share that path for other people. Yeah. And so we have an experience and then we reverse engineer a recipe that yeah. says, here's how to get to that experience. And if you get to this experience, it worked for me. It was really nice. I feel well. I feel enlightened or illumined or just I feel better today. Mm -hmm. And so this is what I did. And so this is what you should do. Mm -hmm. Um, And you do have to do it consistently, right? Because you want to get it across in a consistent way. And I'm going to say, like at some point in this conversation, I'm going to say there are many huge upsides to having a narrow study within a system. Mm -hmm. I think that there are upsides to it, right? But still still staying on this track, right? It's normal to think... I want to share this with you and this is the pathway by which I did this thing and this is my outcome and I want you to do it. Just like I want to, if I enjoy a TV show, I want you to watch the TV show with me and vice versa, right? And I think that those are very good, normal human things until they produce ins and outs and polarizations, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? 
So me showing you like, hey, this is the path that I took. It's a beautiful path. I want you to walk down this path with me. Or me saying, hey, this is a really fun episode of a show I, re- I watched. I really want you to see it with me. Those are really good things. It becomes a problematic thing when other modalities or methods or viewpoints become excluded, mm-hmm. right? So, or when it becomes this idea of like, here is the path that I took. I'd love you to take it with me. And by the way, this is the correct path. Mm-hmm. This is the true path. Mm-hmm. And those are apostate paths mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or those are problematic paths, right? And so that's where I don't in any way vilify systematized methods of yoga. Right. And I, in fact, actually, you, your curriculum, like you, it is like an organized it's extremely organized right. and extremely methodical. Right. For methodical. sure. That was the word I was looking for. For sure. Yeah. So I don't reject these. What I reject is the polarization that comes from these and the lack of independence and critical thinking skills that are sometimes taught within these. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll give a couple of examples, right? Right. Which is, I've said this forever. What, like... What I learned by practicing Ashtanga yoga and what I learned by practicing Iyengar yoga, I wouldn't be who I am today without those things. And I have a lot of respect for all of the teachers and all the modalities that come before me. But at no point did I want to listen to one camp at the exclusion of also listening to the other camp. So I wanted to figure out, oh, in this community, they think about triangle pose this way. I wonder why. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, but in this family, in this camp, they think about triangle pose in a completely different way. Oh, I wonder why. Mm -hmm. Then I have the ability and I want most people to have the ability to think two things can be true at once, especially given the context. So if this community is moving in this way for these reasons, that can make sense. If another community is moving in a different way for different reasons, that can also make sense. Oh, great. Now I have two ways to move, not, oh, I have to pick sides. Does that make sense? Yes. Right? Yeah. And so to me, that's what I, that's kind of what I always want to do within trainings, even within drop-in classes, is I have my preferred ways of doing things. But I also understand that there's a range of what works in any given pose, just for example. So what we want to be able to do is say, okay, if I as the teacher can teach you the concepts and the mechanisms that underlie why I do something a certain way, then you can understand, oh, that's not the only way to do that thing. That's the way to do that thing for that particular outcome, mm-hmm. right? For that reason, yeah. So I don't want to get too like d- no, broad means, and vague and yeah. conceptual, right? But like, and I, I've, I think I've mentioned this on the, the podcast before, but the thing that stands out to me, and I think you were an editor for Yoga Journal at the time when they did that article called A Band of Warriors. Yeah, it was my story. It was yeah. your story, mm-hmm. right? And so this article to me exemplifies something that as a yoga community, I want us to understand and to embrace. 
So in that article, it was five different lineages Mm -hmm. or five different schools. Yeah, it was Vini Yoga, Iyengar, Anasara, Ashtanga. So maybe four. Okay. And was it Kripalu too? Was there a Kripalu? Yeah, maybe there was Kripalu. Yeah. Yeah. So it was those five different, four or five different schools of yoga and how they do warrior one. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like, which one of these is the right way? No. Right? Yeah. It was five different ways of doing a posture through the lens of that particular modality. Yeah. Right? And it was some of the sense behind it, right? Mm-hmm. And and like the most obvious one, and this will make sense for those those of you that have experience in the Anyasara world, right? Where like, of course, in the Anyasara version, the palms were facing forward and there was this big honking backbend. Yeah, it was like right? a nice vaulted chest. Yeah. Right? Open, celebratory. Right. You know. Open, celebratory, spacious, heart, yeah. open, melting. You know what yeah. I mean? So it was like, that posture was being done in a mechanical way that was sensible. The body is dynamic. There's a lot of different ways to do the same posture depending on the outcome you're looking for, mm-hmm. right? And so the posture was being done in a mechanically sensible way, but what was being embellished were the, th- were the postural values that were exemplified by that school of yoga, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so I always think about that. So one of the things I always want to share in trainings or whatever it is, is a little bit of context. Because if someone says, what's the right way to position the shoulders in triangle pose? Or what's the right way to position the arms in Janusharsana or blah, blah, blah. The answer is literally always, it depends. It depends on what you're trying to evoke and what you're trying to do in that pose. I've said this for so long to my students, which is techniques are just strategies. And strategies depend on the outcome that you're looking to enact, Mm -hmm. right? And this is one of the hard truths. And I think there's so many people that are high-level teachers that come to the same realization, which is early in your yoga practice and teaching, it's normal to be black and white. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you're newer in your scope of knowledge. Yeah. And you're also seeking answers. Totally. Like, how do I do triangle pose? Totally. <laughs> and, and so at one point, you just need to be taught how to do triangle yeah, pose. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so that's another thing when I teach and work with beginners is like, I'm going to teach you the box. And I'm going to tell you the box I'm teaching is my preference. Mm-hmm. It's not the only box. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to tell you to listen to your body on day one. Right. You know, I'm going to say, look, on day one. Let's do it this way. Mm-hmm. You take your feet this far apart. This is how you measure it, blah, blah, blah. But I want you to know that as you increase your knowledge over time, you will get out of this box. So this everything I'm teaching you now is a totally reasonable possibility. You just do this one thing for now, knowing that there are many other ways to do this thing as you grow. Mm-hmm. The crisis in some ways that so many experienced level teachers have is when they start to realize, oh man, there are so many different ways that I can teach any given pose or any given breathing technique. Or you mean to tell me Patanjali doesn't represent the totality of the yoga tradition? Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Then what do I teach? So my, my point on all of this is we want to understand as students and we want to understand as teachers that context matters. There's many different ways to do something that shouldn't handcuff you. And we also want to understand that 
the answer to most technical questions is it depends. Mm-hmm. It depends. Yeah. And that's a very difficult thing to embrace when, as you say earlier, you're looking for the answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that it's it's difficult if you've been brought up or, or, or if what has the belief system around you has told you that you need to commit and have answers in order to be an authority. And just as you've been talking about this, I keep thinking about what my dad always taught me, which is, you know, my parents are both children of immigrants and who came here with nothing. And the way that they saw a way out was through education. And my dad used to say to me, you know, education is freedom. Education is freedom. Education just enables And you know, what he meant by that was when you have the ability to analyze different things and stay open and curious and then synthesize the information, then you have the freedom to make choices about what you want to do, about the direction you want to head in, about what your value system is, about what works for you and your family and your beliefs. So it's that's where I think the critical thinking piece comes in. And I want to just for a moment have you talk about what do you mean when you say critical thinking? Like, what does that mean to you? So, okay. So exactly what I've been talking about, which is understanding that... God, this is a this is actually a really difficult thing as a teacher to acknowledge, which is a lot of what I teach and a lot of what everyone teaches is ultimately biased and subjective. It it is. It just actually is. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's malinformed. No, no. But we it all is biased and subjective. We all right? have biases. Everyone has a bias. It's actually better to just acknowledge that. Right. Everyone has a bias. Everyone has a preference. Everyone has some subjectivity and to varying degrees people want other people in their tribes yeah people want other people to like them and revere them and respect them right and so i think the easiest way to start to foster critical thinking skills is to let students know in any given posture just thinking about postures for now that there's a range of doing something. Mm-hmm. That there's a couple of different ways to this. Let's look at crescent lunge, for example, right? Should the back leg be straight or should the back leg be bent? And the answer is, of course, well, it depends. Let's keep it straight today because we're going to stay in the pose for a longer period of time and we're going to work on the shoulders. We're going to do some shoulder opening or some shoulder strengthening or some active range of motion of shoulders. And so we want the back leg to be straight because we want it to be an, a little bit easier pose. When the back leg is straight, the skeleton carries a little bit more of the weight of the body. You're not going to fatigue out as easily. You're not going to be distracted by the intensity of the demand in the quadriceps. So you can focus a little bit more on your shoulders. Oh, today we're doing crescent lunge, but we're going to be there a little bit more brief period of time. We're not going to fuss around with the shoulders. And what we really want to focus on is pelvic position and creating strength and length in the quadriceps and strength in the glutes. So we're going to bend that back knee so that we can focus on those parameters. Okay, triangle pose today. Should the bottom hand be down on the floor or should the bottom hand be 
hovering off of the floor. Okay, well, it's really a core focus practice today, and we are focusing a lot on strengthening the lateral part of our core. So the way we're gonna do triangle pose today is we're gonna hover that bottom hand off of the ground, we're gonna pull the top side ribs in, and we're gonna work the obliques. So that bottom hand is not on the ground, it's not a base, because we want the top side of the core to work more. Okay, okay, well today it's a backbend sequence, we're not focused as much on strengthening the lateral part of the core. So let's take that hand to the ground or to a block where, to the outside of the ankle, and let's add a little bit more of a backbend to the pose. Let's forget someone ever said, don't let the ribs flare. Mm -hmm. Let's flare the ribs and take a backbend in the pose. So understanding like the body is dynamic, we're dynamic, we're not humans trying to use our body to execute a pose. We're humans that have poses as different entry points to understanding how we can use our body. So when we start to see that there are different ways to do any given pose, not, hey, do whatever feels good. Hey, do whatever. But it's like... Well, it sounds like you want people to know the why behind yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, so putting yeah. the why behind what we're doing, yeah. right? And then similarly understanding, well, should we listen to music or not listen to music? Well. It depends. So answering questions with it depends and then providing some context. To me, some of those are some of the most important things. Some of the other most important things, and you kind of go back to the education is freedom. When students have a more comprehensive understanding of functional anatomy, of the concepts behind sequencing, of the historical or philosophical context of yoga, whether that's from workshops or trainings or whatever it is, the more we understand the background of what it is that we're doing, the more we can realize like, oh, I have a lot of choices to make and I don't want to have so many vague choices that I, I don't know what to do. But when I know that there are different ways of breathing, there are different paces of moving, when I know that a more restorative practice is an option for these reasons or a more active practice is an option for these reasons then we start to build the critical thinking skills and the self-reliance and the independence to make our own choices at any given time mm -hmm. yeah I, I think there's something i want to touch on which is is kind of another point I want to make, and it's related, which is I have heard many, many people over the years say, don't do another style of yoga, like do this style of yoga. If you are a student of X, don't also be a student of Y. To me, part of this makes sense. I completely reject it, but it makes sense in a way, which is this. If you want to be an absolute specialist in a thing you can't fuss around with a bunch of other things yeah so mm -hmm. if i want to be an absolute specialist in ashtanga yoga and i want to be able to do second series advanced series so forth and so on and i just believe this is the path towards salvation then just do that you know what i mean like if then then if you truly believe that you want to be a an absolute specialist in a particular camp, 
and that is your karma or that's yeah. your belief or that's your worldview, fine. Mm-hmm. If I want to be a professional dancer, then I need to start from a young age and just mostly do that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's wrong, but I don't think that's most people. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's most people. Similarly, if I am a more casual aspirant, right? If it's not like, okay, I'm going to be able to do everything in light on yoga and I'm going to be the the senior level Iyengar yoga teacher or so forth and so on. If you're not going to be that, if you don't think that's your path, then you have every reason and every incentive to have a broad education in this discipline, not a narrow education in the discipline, right? Yeah. And so cross-training, I know it sounds weird, but like cross-pollination, taking some Ashtanga classes, taking some Iyengar classes, taking some Yin classes, taking some restorative classes, taking some flow classes with this person and that person. If you take a bunch of different classes with a lot of different modalities, are you going to become an absolute specialist in any one of those modalities? Probably not. But... Is it going to help you see that you have many different tools for self-awareness? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is it maybe going to help you take on other perspectives? Yes. So one of the things we've talked a lot about over the years in our family is perspective taking. And I think that being able to take perspectives is an inherent component of critical thinking skills. But in order to take perspective you have to actually spend a moment in those shoes. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of understand, oh, why in the Ashtanga world do they do shoulder stand before headstand? And then why in every other asana world do they do headstand and then shoulder stand? When you can kind of take those perspectives and be like, oh, this is why they do it that way. And this is why everyone else does it another way. Then we can start to get a little bit out of our narrow and polarized worldviews. Yeah. The right and the wrong. The right and the wrong. It's this very black and white thinking that for me is at the root of almost all problematic human behavior. Yeah, it's true. It really is. It's really at the root of pretty much all systems that go to... I mean, perspective taking is also what facilitates and requires empathy, right? Mm. So being able to take another, the perspective of another requires that you can understand them. Right. And so you have to be open enough and confident enough and secure enough and curious enough to do that. And so one thing I want to add on to your talking about if you want to become a specialist is, and I think you said this earlier in a different way, but like, let's say I did want to become an Ashanga teacher. And I think the tricky part is the student who comes to you and you're teaching them the one system that you're careful not to teach them, this is the only way to do it. And if you can't do it, you're wrong. And, and, but I have to say, you don't believe this, you're wrong. But at almost every instance, you choose, people will choose party over, over everything else. Over critical thinking. Yeah. Because why? Because of identity formation. That becomes the big shadow side. Uh, I'm not going to say of a system because I, I don't want to. I don't want to go there. I don't want this to be like we're rejecting all these things. Like I said at the beginning, like I wouldn't be here without those things. Yeah, me neither. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know what I know if I didn't 
spend a decade in senior Iyengar level class. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm not now going to, I'm not going to reject that. That's, mm-hmm. it's not, I don't think it's, I don't think it's right. At the same time, the shadow side of looking for an answer is that then if you find that answer, you will often become identified with that answer. You become, um, you build the identity around that. Mm. And then you almost always take on the broader ideology of that worldview. Mm. And then you seek to perpetuate the broader ideology of that worldview rather than other more critical instincts. And we just see it. There's just countless, it's like, whether it's politics, whether it's a PTA meeting, whether it's, whether it's yoga, whether it's the jujitsu world, like whatever that group is Mm -hmm. where we find ourselves there's almost always some identity formation and then trappings that come with it and certain like certain, oh man, I don't want to go too far down this well, road. Well, I just, am, I'm sort of smirking here because I'm thinking about just how interesting, it's always been really interesting to me and we don't need to go in depth about this at all, Yeah, but it's always really interesting to me that when I met you, you were part, well, I, yeah, you were you lived in an anarchist bookstore. Yeah, you can say it. <laughs> you were an for anarchist. For 10 years. For 10 years. And that when we don't, you know, again, I don't want to go into this in depth because I don't want to sidetrack us, but like you've talked about getting out of that yeah. because within the anarchist movement, it became too dogmatic. Oh my God. It became too like you subscribe to this, this, and this, or you're out. Yeah. So and then all the all fascinating. The, and then all the factions in that world, right? Whether you are a political anarchist or a lifestyle anarchist or X, Y, or Z, right? So it's like, that's the other weird, it's, the subcultures are so weird. Yeah. Humans are so weird. Yes. But so for me, I mean, I'll just, I'll just say this is like that world, this is a quick pause. Okay. Which is the root of that world is mostly misunderstood. The root of that world is not non-governance, and chaos. The root of that world is non-hierarchical organizational structures, period. Let's move on from there. So one of the big reasons that I moved on from that world, which is a difficult world to move on to, is because it has its own party lines. It has its own party lines. And the it has bookstore, its own hierarchy. Right? Like so unwritten hierarchy. A huge hierarchy. Yeah. And in that world, I'm not going to go down this road much, but in that world, like, you know, at the bookstore that I lived in and worked at, people were like, did he live in a bookstore? And they asked, yeah, I lived in a bookstore. All right. For a <laughs> it was decade. was not glamorous. Yeah. I can't believe I wanted to date you. What was wrong with me? I don't know. <laughs> but there was a lot of controversy for some of the things that we sold in that bookstore. Yeah. Right. So there was like, you know, the shelves that everyone agreed on and then the shelves that no one agreed on, but we all had to pretend like we actually agreed. Mm -hmm. We kind of had to fall into the party line. Mm -hmm. We kind of had to fall into the narrative. And what happens in that is you end up apologizing for things that are not good, that are not cool, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
right? We're in a current political situation where like whoever you vote for, like I can acknowledge that the person I voted for has made colossal mistakes, colossal mistakes. Yes. And I'm not going to say that that's, that that's not happening. So, but again, it throwing back to the yoga world is like, to me, it is a fundamentally colossal mistake to only look inside your bubble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you find yourself only looking in your bubble and you find yourself in your gut not completely agreeing with components of that bubble, but yet having to toe that line because you don't want to lose that status, mm-hmm. get out. Mm-hmm. Or don't get out, but like or you don't look around. That, you, don't, you have to toe that line because you're going to piss someone off who's in charge. Totally. And you're going to be in trouble. So That's I always where it gets really scary. I always felt in the Iyengar world that the one of the beautiful things about living in a modern era was that I could study in that world and have access to that information and that technique and that pedigree, but I didn't have to completely join the club. Yes, same here. Which meant like I could then go do a flow class. Or I could do a yin class mm-hmm. or I could do whatever and I wouldn't be scorned. Right. Right. Because my identity wasn't formed by being part of the inner sanctum, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I think, you know, kind of circling back is like, I've also felt as a yoga teacher, like, look, do I wish I was kind of the only yoga teacher ever and people just liked me and only listened to me? Kind of. Actually, that'd be terrifying. <laughs> but there's an insecure and there's a vain part I think of me. You're just saying everybody has an ego. Yeah, everyone everybody, has an ego. And everybody and, wants to be liked. And when we feel totally. threatened that they like, might feel, like someone else better, it's just threatening. It's just threatening. Yeah. Right. But I have always felt this, which is if I teach you something and that thing is true and accurate and helpful then it will withstand your scrutiny of that subject, right? Yeah. I, I actually trust my teachings. And I trust that if, if I teach you something and under scrutiny it doesn't work for you, what's more important? You doing the thing that I told you to do that doesn't work because I'm an insecure psychopath? Or you actually finding something that works for you? I have to acknowledge it's the latter. It's you finding something that works for you. Yeah. So I've said this, I've said this pretty much. These were always my parting words in when I would do it, teach a workshop, right? Which is everything that I've taught you, I believe to be true and correct and that it's going to add value to your experience, but don't take my word for it. Spend the next couple of weeks just testing this stuff out, see how it feels. The stuff that works for you, keep building on it. The stuff that doesn't work for you after you've kind of tested it out, let it go. Let it go and move on. Find something else that actually works for you. I I think when we're not doing that, we're not leading with our own independence and security and critical thinking skills. We're dealing with our own insecurities, right? There's kind of one more thing that I've been thinking about that I think ties into this that's, that's quick, which is one of the things in narrow-minded black and white thinking as teachers that we have and teachers and students that we have to that we have to pay attention to and kind of look out for it's a little bit of a tell which is when teachers say 
oh, so-and-so just doesn't understand. Oh, so-and-so just doesn't understand. Oh, they don't understand. Because what that presumes is that people don't disagree. It presumes that if you don't believe what I believe, it's because you don't understand the science. You don't know. You don't know. There's a bit of information that if you had that information, then you would know what I know. It's a, it's a real not-so-subtle arrogance, actually. Mm. And, but what it also does is I think that there's something deeper, which is it denies the possibility that someone can understand and disagree with your assessment, right? So we were talking about scientific inquiry the other day, you and I, and the language of it, right? And I was talking about, oh, it was a... Uh, I was talking about this, uh, this uh, scientific thinking course that I took on Masterclass with Neil deGrasse Tyson oh, right. on scientific thinking and inquiry, right? And he said, and I'll paraphrase it, he said, let me actually tell you what science is, the scientific method is. The scientific method is not finding some studies or some evidence that agrees with your viewpoint. He said, that's actually the opposite of science. He said, what scientific inquiry and thinking is, is one thing. You doing everything you can possibly do to try to disprove something. Then when you cannot disprove something, that thing is an objective scientific fact according to our current understanding. Hmm. Right? This is really important for people to think about. Yeah. Right? But so my point on this is like... Like rigorously test things. Rigorously test things. rigorously test things. But even more, the point I want to make with this idea of disagreement is like, in every field, in every single f- like field in this world, you can have two different people understand the same things and look at the same information and look at the data, same data, and draw different conclusions. So they they just don't understand trope is this arrogant trope that is antithetical to science and it denies this idea that someone can say, "Oh, actually I understand just as well as you understand." And I come up with a different conclusion. Right. Right? Right. 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 And the thing is like taking on a light side, why do we need everyone to agree with us all the time? it's insane. Like we are in a relationship. We're in a really good relationship. We have a really similar worldview. We don't agree on everything all the time. You must agree with me all the time. Right? (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. It's like, oh, oh, you didn't like this TV show because you don't understand. It's like, no, I actually understand. And I disagree. Yeah. I mean, we will, if we disagree on things, and I think I do this more than you do. I will like get heated in terms of trying to get you to understand my point of view in hopes, if I'm being honest, in hopes that you will see things my way. Of course. But if you then come back to me and you say, but here's my thing, one, two, three, four, five, it has to be like, okay. Yeah. Love you. Yeah. (laughs) It will become the opposite of perspective taking. It's like, well, if you just understood what I understood, (laughs) then you would have the same perspective (laughs) as I have. And it's like, actually, life is a little bit more bleeping complicated than that. Yes. Yes. Because we can look at the same information pool and come up with really different perspectives. And if you don't, 
And that doesn't mean that you can't be an advocate and fight for your position. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so, so my point on this is like, oh, you can have a worldview. You can totally advocate for things. But the trope of when someone disagrees, them just not understanding is absurd. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's a really, in, in a lot of times you'll find that cloaked in this kind of scientific language. Oh, they just understood the newest per- study. It's like, give me a break. Yeah, yeah. I want to end on another light note, Please. which is when you first started talking about this, I just, what came to mind for me is that most of us, I would assume most people listening to this, although that may not be the truth, most of us were not raised with yoga. For most of us, yoga is a come, we've come to it later in life. And I think that's a beautiful thing because for me, it's been part of my lifelong learning. Yeah. And the school that Sophia previously went to that was you know one of their principles is we want to raise lifelong learners and I think that's the most important thing that I could do for our child right is to instill that in her a love of learning and learning involves staying open staying curious and seeing different perspectives and taking in different types of information so this is just my way of saying you know Enjoy the process of learning. And if you want to learn different types of things, different modalities, different viewpoints on yoga, that's fantastic. That's part of your lifelong journey of learning. Agreed. And I feel like that's that's the basis of what you are trying to um, communicate. Yeah. Yeah. Inquiry, not memorization. Mm-hmm. A little bit of memorization is really helpful. But yeah, an inquiry-based model where we continue to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And as yoga teachers, to acknowledge like, sometimes we're not going to have the answer to everything. Yep. Okay. Rarely though. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Jason. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. As I mentioned before, if you would like to get more information sent to you about Jason's Art of Yoga Sequencing workshop that's coming up in October, you can go to jasonyoga.com sequencing, join that little waitlist there. And as the info becomes available, I will send it directly to you. We so appreciate all of your support I got a lot of messages and DMs during the hiatus asking when we were coming back. And it really means a lot because we are here, you know, I'm here just doing this in our home and it makes me feel more connected to you. And if you feel connected to the podcast and you'd like to share it with others, I always appreciate that if you share it on social media and, or if you leave us a five-star reading and review on Apple podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you listen just know that I read them all and uh, they mean a lot to me. So thanks so much all. It's great to be back. And until next week, enjoy your practice.